0: And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So when my son was about two years old, he had several very severe allergic reactions. Uh, Went to the hospital, had to give him EpiPens a few times, and really scary. Afterwards, we went for allergy testing, and I learned a lot about allergies and kind of the whole process. And uh, what surprised me was that allergy tests are not foolproof. Uh, in other words, if you have an allergy test, it doesn't tell you definitively that you have an allergy. Uh, see, my son has eczema, a really sensitive skin, and so there's a lot of things when they do the test that could make his skin irritate even if he's not necessarily allergic to it. So we had all these reactions and uh, we don't have any idea what's causing these reactions. Um, so we go to the allergist, and they do this testing. And after the testing, they said that we need to avoid giving him dairy, eggs, tree nuts, tapioca, chickpeas, and sunflower. It was very difficult. There's not much left when you take out all of those things. If you, even if you have dairy-free and egg-free, you take out dairy and eggs. And most products that are made that are dairy-free, egg-free, they're made out of tapioca, sunflower oil. Uh, I remember going through the the grocery store the one time and trying to find chips that didn't have sunflower oil in them. And I couldn't find any chips. The only thing I could find were, like, tortilla chips that were made with corn oil. So I found they were in a lot of different things, and it got to a point that, like, we couldn't go out to any restaurants at that time. Uh, We basically, he couldn't really eat much that was processed at all, so we had to just, like, make things from scratch, And there were some things that I thought would be really difficult to make that weren't so difficult, like macaroni and cheese. I mean, it's all dairy, right? And even, you know, boxes that are vegan mac and cheese had sunflower and tapioca, so we had to make it from scratch. I thought it was going to be really challenging, but it wasn't. Um, We found a recipe that was really good. I actually really like it to this day, Um, and so it was super easy to put together. But there were other things that I had taken for granted that were super simple that became very complicated, like bread. Looked up trying to find a loaf of bread that didn't have sunflower oil or sunflower in the production process, and I couldn't really find one loaf of bread. So we started making our bread at home. And so we had this bread maker and we, you know, mixed all the ingredients together and it worked most of the time, but sometimes it was like I tried to make it a little bit healthier, add wheat flour and substituted that uh, for the the white flour and apparently you can't do that. There's different like gluten contents and I don't know, chemically there's something different so it turned into like this little hockey puck, couldn't eat. So I learned a lot about it and then, you know, after it's done, you know, we had to slice it and... We had to buy this bread knife, and then you get the bread knife, and then, you know some slices are even, some si- slices are not so even. Some are too thick, some are too thin and fall apart. But the worst part was that it didn't last. There's no preservatives in it, so it only lasts for a couple days. If you put it in the uh, freezer, it didn't really freeze well. It just kind of fall apart, it fell apart and it became hard if you put it in the freezer. So we're just like making this bread like constantly, and you know something that on the surface, seems so easy, so commonplace, you just buy a loaf of bread, and it just became so difficult, and just kind of this daily battle to have bread on hand for him to have a sandwich. Now, thankfully, in God's grace, things have changed. It turned out that he's not really allergic to some of those things, especially sunflower oil, Um, so we're able to go out to eat and buy a loaf of bread, which is nice, but it was a difficult time, and just kind of thinking about just simple things that became so difficult. Things that I thought would be easy that became difficult. And last week we looked at how Jesus tells his disciples that he's ultimately headed to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer, die, uh, be killed, and rise again. And in this passage we see that Jesus tells his disciples they need to be prepared for the same fate. He says to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now this statement would have been extremely jarring to them, even though you know it's not the first time that he had said things like that to them. He'd said something similar in Matthew chapter 10. But this would have been incredibly jarring. Uh, you know, we think about the cross in our culture, and you know, our the, the concept of the cross has become kind of domesticated, it's come become kind of like a decoration that we might hang in our house. But in Jesus' day, people didn't want to even think about a cross. No one would have a cross in their, in their house. Nobody would think about it. It's something you wanted to put out of your mind. It was the most gruesome uh, way of execution that you could think about. Uh, the famous uh, preacher, Billy Graham, once said this. When Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to take up a cross, it was the same as saying, come and bring your electric chair with you. Take up the gas chamber and follow me. He did not have a beautiful gold cross in mind the cross on a church steeple or on the front of your Bible, Jesus had in mind a place of execution. And so it would have been jarring to them. And further, when we think about the cross, you know, when we think about the cross, we think about Jesus because Jesus died on the cross. And um, we think about Jesus, we think about the cross. And, they, you know, they're so closely held together. Um, But remember, in this context that Jesus is talking to these disciples they don't necessarily know that he's going to die on the cross. I mean, he's just said he's going to be killed, but they don't necessarily know how he's going to die. And even at this point, to, to think that the Son of God would die on a cross, you know, and, and Deuteronomy says that cursed is a man who hangs on a tree, and that he would experience this terrible fate, um, It's probably was still unthinkable to the disciples. And so they don't even know, probably don't know, that uh, Jesus is going to die on a cross, and yet Jesus is calling them to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow after him. Jesus is saying in this passage is remarkably clear to them. It's, it's not a metaphor primarily to them. He's not saying, well, you know, the cross represents this. He's, he's literally saying, like, you have to be prepared to die for me. And we know from church history that many of the early disciples, you know, after the resurrection, of course, died for Christ. And so this is a very contextual specific instruction for the disciples that Jesus and the disciples are headed to Jerusalem and from now on there's going to be uh, this persecution or this threat of persecution from now on there's going to be this threat of death and you know after Jesus death of course it's going to be magnifying at times throughout the history of the early church and so while this is contextual and it's like we're not You know, following Jesus to Jerusalem, we're not in the same place. But the question is, like, how does this apply to us today? You know, many of us, most of us in our culture will probably not be called to give our lives for our faith. Some of us could be. Um, But what does this passage mean to us if, if he doesn't call us to martyrdom, if he doesn't call us to die for him? And I think that for those of us who maybe aren't going to be called to martyrdom, I think the challenge is even greater, potentially, than he gave his first disciples. Because the, the challenge here is not fundamentally a challenge of death, although that's certainly a part of it, but there was much more than that. I mean, in other words, yes, they might be put to death, but they could die of other reasons. I mean, in that day and age, diseases could you know take you down very easily. Um, in that day and age, you could get an injury, get an abscess, and, and die. And, and so the question is not between life and death. It's how one lives one's life. And, you know, the question is not, are you going to die or whether you're going to live? Is, are you going to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me? It's not fundamentally just a question of death. So it's not a choice between living and dying. Uh, Oswald Chambers insightfully once said this, he said suffering is the heritage of the bad of the penitent and of the son of god each one ends in the cross the bad thief is crucified the penitent thief is crucified and the son of god is crucified by these signs we know the widespread heritage of suffering we all die we all will die the question is how do we live do we choose to deny ourselves take up our cross follow Jesus or not. And for those of us who are not going to be called, and we don't know that, but, but those of us who are not going to be called to martyrdom, to give our lives for Christ, the challenge is even deeper. Because, I mean, think about it. You know, if imagine the early disciples. They had, you know, ministry for t- some time. And how how many, you know, moments of denying self does it require to, to give your life for Christ? Potentially only a few moments. You know, they're asked to deny their faith. They... They don't do that. They proclaim the gospel. They're put to to death. But if we're going to live our lives, and we live to 70, 80, 90, whatever the case may be, however long we live, how many times does it require us to put uh, put, uh, self to death? It requires a daily decision, hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of times where we need to say no to the flesh. And so the calling that Jesus has for us as believers, even if we don't uh, go down that road where we're killed for Christ, is very significant because it takes a lot. It's very difficult to say no to self and yes to Christ, especially if we live a longer period of time. There's a sense in which being a living sacrifice in Romans 12 is just as difficult, even more difficult perhaps, than being a dead sacrifice. You know, maybe we think in our minds, like, hey, like, it would be really, really hard to give my life for Christ. Just like me thinking it would be really, really hard to make macaroni and cheese without dairy or eggs or sunflower. I think, well, making bread, that would be something that would be easy. But it turns out to be more complicated. Living the Christian life, saying no to the flesh each and every day, it's much, it's, it's quite difficult. And think about it this way. Imagine that you had a a person who's 40 years old and he's a millionaire and he has a real heart for missions and he wants to give himself to missions. And so he has two options. The number one option is that he could sell all that he has, take all the money in his bank account and send that over to a missions agency to, to reach the lost. Now that would be an incredible sacrifice that he'd give all of his wealth, all of his possessions away incredible sacrifice. But imagine, on the other hand, that he didn't do that. Imagine that he kept all of his assets, but sold his house, put it in a trust, and then he went to Africa, lived in these little huts, lived a life of austerity, lived in poverty for the duration of his life. You could argue that would be even a greater sacrifice. Of course, they're both sacrifices, but the one he's giving of himself every single day for the cause, the other He's given in one moment. So again, they're both sacrificed, they're both significant, but the one is even more significant than the other. In the same way, living for Christ can be just as difficult and significant as dying for him. And so I believe this passage is very challenging for us, and it's more difficult than we might think, because it calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross every single day. And so for the remaining time I have today, I'd like to consider three questions. Number one, what does it mean to deny self? Second, what are the rewards of denying self? And third, where is the power for denying self? So first, what does it mean to deny self? This Greek word for deny is a word that's used in a few different contexts in the Scripture. One of the times it's used is when the Scripture talk about, talks about Peter denying Christ. Jesus says, you will deny me three times. Uh, Another context is Isaiah 31.7 in the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament where it speaks of uh, denying or casting away or renouncing idols. Uh, One Greek dictionary defines the uh, the Greek word uh, for deny this way. To refuse to give thought to or express concern for. To disregard, to pay no attention to, to say no to. And I think that fits exactly what Jesus is talking about when he talks about denying self. So in this context, it's a refusal to give thought or to express concern for oneself, to get disregard, to pay no attention to oneself. In other words, to say no to the self. In other words, when we deny self, we put aside the natural bent that we have towards self-preservation and self-direction. Denying self does not mean that we hate ourselves or that we intentionally seek out suffering. But the self is not in the driver's seat. In this passage, the disciples are headed to Jerusalem with Jesus, and the natural tendency would have been towards self-preservation, self-direction. Like, I don't want to experience suffering. I don't want to experience potentially death for Christ. And their natural tendency would have been to run away from the challenge. It's illustrated by the failure of Peter who denied Jesus rather than denying self. He thought, you know, it was dangerous to identify with Jesus, this one who had been arrested, and so he denies Jesus rather than himself. He's, inter- he's ruled by the interests of self rather than the interests of Christ. I mean, how might this play out in our daily lives? Maybe we see someone in need and God calls, them to, calls us to help them, but maybe there's a part of us that doesn't really want to do that because it will cost us something. You know, and maybe we need to put the self to death in the sense that we need to, you know, put to death our desires. Maybe we want to spend that money on, on one thing and God is calling us to, to help someone who's in need. Or maybe he's calling us to do something really difficult that's going to cost us something. And we have that choice, like, am I going to do what pleases me or am I going to do what pleases Christ? Maybe, you know, God calls us to forgive our enemies to love those who persecute us. And the self says, I just want to get revenge. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with this person. I don't want to forgive them. They've done this horrible thing. And if we're going to follow Christ, we need to put that self to death and saying, Christ has called me to follow him. And really the the litmus test, I think, for whether we're denying self or denying Christ, whether we're following after our self-will or Christ, is how we handle decisions in our life what's the grid that we use to to, to to understand our decisions do we think about our decisions and like how does this affect myself like if I do this will this make me happy if I do this will it make me comfortable if I do this will this cost me too much I mean if that's the grid through which we we all of our decisions are are, are propelled forward then our self is driving our actions Christ is not on the other hand if Christ is Directing our decisions, maybe, you know, the question we ask is not, will this make ha- me happy? Will this make Christ happy? Is this what Christ wants for me? Is this where Christ is leading me? Am I willing to give up something valuable to me for the sake of Christ? It's when Christ is on the throne rather than our self-interest, self-preservation. So that, that's what it means to deny self. It means saying no to self-interest, self-preservation, and, and following after Christ. And then the second question, what is the reward for denying self? I believe that the ultimate reward for denying self is peace, security, and eternal joy. But the thing that's ironic is that peace, security, and eternal joy sometimes comes through suffering. And, And I think that the reason is, as human beings, we sometimes have a really hard time knowing what will make us happy. Like, for example, back in January, I went to Florida uh, for a little bit and looked up things to do, thought of things that would be fun for our family. And one of the things I looked up was this pirate cruise called Captain Mimo's Pirate Cruise. Um, and they had, like, activities for the kids and everything, really super highly rated. I actually had gone on it um, when I was a kid. And so I, you know, kind of prepped Paul for it. We watched Peter Pan before we went and talked about going on this pirate ship. But I'm excited. I'm thinking it's going to be an awesome time. Um, he's going to be really excited. Everyone's going to leave happy. And he fell asleep, like, right before we got to the pirate cruise. And so we woke him up, and he's just not in a very good mood, doesn't want to do anything, you know, go to get pictures, and he just doesn't want to take a picture. He wouldn't smile for the picture, uh, we take him on the boat, and he just doesn't want to participate in any of the activities. Uh, we just kept asking, when is this going to be over? When are we going to go home? And, uh, you know, I thought it was going to be a great time. I thought we were going to have, you know, we were going to all leave happy, but it didn't work out so well. We all left very tired. We all left very unfulfilled. Very disappointed that we spent all this money on this. But then there's been other times in my life where maybe I wasn't, like, looking for happiness, and somehow I found it. Like, for example, years ago, my wife, uh, it was before we were married, but she took off from work one day, and she just surprised me. I think it was, I think it was on my birthday, actually. And um, she surprised me, and it's like, hey, I'm here to spend the day with you. And I knew that there was this concert up in Toronto. We weren't planning on going to the concert. And I'm just like, should we go to this concert in Toronto? She so says, sure. And, and so we just went up there, just kind of flying blindly, not knowing where we're going to eat, where we're going to park, where we're going to go. And we ended up going to all these like little farms up there in Canada and uh, found this really cool park that we hung out at. And to this day, for both of us, it's like one of the happiest days that we've ever had. And it was completely unplanned, completely undirected. And, and that's kind of how it works sometimes. Sometimes when we're seeking happiness, we don't find it. And sometimes you know, happiness finds us unexpectedly. And the truth is we, we're bad at, at determining what will make us happy. But Christ knows what will bring us ultimate joy. And so when we think about denying self, it's not denying security, peace, or eternal joy. Everybody seeks their own joy. Everyone seeks their own happiness. It's that we direct, that we, that we trust Christ to be the one that satisfies us. That we believe that he's the one who knows what will ultimately satisfy our souls. And sometimes when we're experiencing suffering, you know, we have that kind of question when we go back and forth. Like, you know, obviously suffering isn't joyful. I mean, we can have joy in suffering, but sometimes we wonder, like, why is God bringing me into this? Why am I experiencing this? And we kind of struggle with God in that. But ultimately, God has good things in store for those of us who are believers And so denying self is a strategy for finding ultimate security, joy, and peace. And so the disciples, you know, eventually when they give their lives for Christ, those of them who did, they believe that joy can be found in God, a greater joy than any that can be found on this earth. And we see in the scriptures that even Jesus himself suffered for the sake of joy. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1-2 says this, and experiencing suffering on the cross for the sake of joy, the joy of seeing people come to know him and experience life in him, and the joy of pleasing the Father and bringing glory to the Father. And so even Jesus suffered for the sake of joy. And so when we suffer, when we deny self, we're not denying self saying, oh, I don't like to have fun, I like to experience pain and suffering. No, we're denying self because we believe that Christ will ultimately give us joy that will ultimately find our peace, security, and ultimate joy in Him, even if it goes through the road of suffering. Blaise Pascal, a famous mathematician and philosopher, once said this, All men seek happiness. This is without sep- exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. This, the will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. So, of course, again, the negative that is highlighted here in this passage is that when we deny Christ, we'll experience the judgment of God. But again, the positive, the reward, is that when we do deny ourselves, the reward is ultimate security, ultimate peace, ultimate joy found in a relationship with God. So that's the reward of denying self. And finally, What is the power for denying self? Where does the power come from? It's interesting that Jesus gives this command to the disciples, but they're unable to keep this command. They're unable to deny themselves. They're unable to sacrifice for Christ. We know this because we see it in Scripture. He gives Peter the command, deny yourself, and Peter denies Jesus. He gives the same command to the disciples, and we're the disciples after Jesus is crucified. They're terrified. They're, they're huddled up in a little room you know, like sheep, scared. They're just terrified of what's going to come because their master has been put to death. They're unable to, to, to carry out this command to deny themselves. But then Jesus rises from the grave. Then he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of them, and everything changes. These scared little sheep become bold lions. And nothing can stop them from sharing the love of Christ. Nothing can stop them from following the plan that God has for them. Look at what happens in Acts chapter 4. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have, but what we have seen and heard. And when they had thre- threaded them further, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And so you have these disciples who at one point are denying Jesus, scared, terrified. Jesus rises from the dead. The Holy Spirit's power is inside of them, and they're bold as lions. They're saying, we, we can't stop preaching the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter what it costs us. We have to preach the name of Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he gives us the power to say no to self and say yes to Christ. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. Paul uses the picture of crucifixion to speak, to speak of what has happened to the old self in Christ. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives inside of me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so the Holy Spirit in our lives gives us the power to say no to sin, say no to self, and say yes to what God has for. And often the way that he motivates us is through reminding us of the grace of Christ, reminding us of the love and the sacrifice of Christ in the cross. That is that we see Christ's love for us and that we're so overcome by that love that it gives us the fuel that we need to deny ourselves. So kind of just bringing it all together again, what does it mean to deny ourselves? It means refusing to give thought to or express concern for oneself, to disregard, to to pay no attention to oneself, to say no to the self. What is the reward for denying self? It's eternal peace, eternal security, eternal joy, even though that road might include suffering. And finally, where is the power for denying ourselves? The power for denying ourselves only comes through the Holy Spirit as he shows us the love of God poured out in the cross and the resurrection. And he gives us the fuel to follow after Christ. Now some of us may be online or some of us may be here. We've never entered into a relationship with Christ. We've never came to a point in our life where the self was uprooted from the throne of our life. Maybe we've just kind of been doing things our own way. We've been self-directed, seeking our own plans, seeking our own ideas to satisfy the hole in our hearts. Maybe today would be the day that we turn from that and say, I admit I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I don't know what will ultimately bring me joy. And we choose to put Christ on the throne. And when we do that, he comes into our life through the Holy Spirit. He directs us and ultimately leads to joy, security, and peace in him. Sometimes even, you know, that's the ultimate goal. We don't always experience that in this life. Our promised suffering will occur. But even in this life, he often gives us foretastes of what that joy, peace, and security will look like. And we can have glimpses of that joy even though we walk through very difficult circumstances. Others of us, maybe we're believers. We've known Jesus for a long time. And uh, there was a point in our life where we turned from our sins, turned from ourself, put our faith in Christ. But it's not just a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. Because, you know, though we're believers, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We still have that sin nature. And self you kind of rears its ugly head all the time. You know, every day we have this choice whether we're going to choose to please self or choose to please Christ, to deny self or deny Christ. And so we need that reminder to say yes to Him each and every way, because every day. Because when we don't do that, when we say yes to ourself, it ends in in sadness and destruction. Uh, Francis Fenelon, a seventeenth century priest during the Huguenot conflicts, wrote the following words of encouragement to a fellow priest who was really having a difficult time, was going through a time of persecution and struggling. He said, I'm sorry to hear of your troubles, but I'm sure you realize that you must carry the cross with Christ in this life. Soon enough, there will come a time where you will no longer suffer. You will reign with God, and he will wipe away your, your tears with his own hand. In his presence, pain and sigh will forever flee away. So while you have the opportunity to experience difficult trials, Do not lose the slightest opportunity to embrace the cross. Learn to suffer with simplicity and a heart full of love. If you do, you will not only be happy in spite of the cross, but because of it. Love is pleased to suffer for the beloved. The cross which conforms you into his image is a consoling bond of love between you and him. Finally, in conclusion, just to kind of bring everything together, we all have a cross to bear. But the joy of our Savior motivates us And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. His power enables us to walk the path that God has for us. We all will experience suffering. Each and every one of us, we all have a cross to bear. But the love of our Savior motivates us. When we see his sacrifice, his death on the cross, his love for us, it should motivate us to keep going. And the Holy Spirit enables us, gives us that power as we walk forward in obedience with all that God has for us. Saying, No to self each day, and yes to Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. Um, We thank you that you walk with us even during times of difficulty. Lord, I pray that each and every day, whether we're going through good times or bad times, that we would deny ourselves, that we take up our cross and follow you. Not because we enjoy suffering, not because we like to experience pain, but because we believe that following after you is the path to eternal joy, peace, and security. And we trust in you. We trust that even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, when it's not fun, when it's challenging, Lord, we trust that all joy and peace is found in a relationship with you. And we look forward to the day that one day you're going to wipe every tear from our eyes. But until that day, Lord, help us to walk forward in obedience, trusting in you every step of the way. In Christ's name I pray.